Hi, this is Kalia. And this is Chris. And this is It's, it's a, a Queer, queer thing. thing. On this show, we focus on politics, civil rights, news, and entertainment. And on this show, we have special guests and interviews focusing on issues relevant to the LGBTQ plus community. So let's get to it. Happy Pride, Chris. Oh, my God. Are we still doing this? Happy Pride? We are. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say Merry Pride this time. Not just Happy Pride, but Merry Pride. There you go. A pride, a merry full pride on all of your house. (laughs) And this, at least the weekend we're recording this, is the weekend of San Francisco Pride. That's right. Well, the recording of our buffer, we recorded our interview with our guest several months ago, actually. But, But before we jump into cruising in the Castro. Uh, there's a little bit of background that's important. So Chris, you met Kathy, who is our interview subject, uh, when you got to do this exciting walking tour. Tell us, tell the listeners how you got involved and how it, that all came about. Yeah, so I've been going to the Castro. I'm, you know, as Kaylee will remind you again during this episode. I, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't me this time. You did it to yourself. I, no, Wait, I, I figured I'll just, I'll just self-sabotage myself. Guys, one minute in, and he's already dropping this. Okay, go he's ahead. Okay, a minute, but... old man, before you forget your train <laughs> of thought. Oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, I'm 94 years old, and I've been going to the Castro. <laughs> I've been going to the Castro. I'm trying to think of the first time I went to the Castro. It it was the 80s, uh, you know, probably 84, 85. And my friends, Dr. Peter Robertson and Dr. Catherine Faubert from Fresno State contacted me in late March and said, or actually Catherine contacted me and said, we're going to be going up to the Castro for a walking tour um, with Cruising in the Castro. Um, and I said, oh, yeah. And she was just talking to me about it. And I said, oh, that'd be so cool. I want to go up and I I, I, I want to kind of stand in the background. She goes, well, Peter's going to be there. And I said, well, don't tell Peter I'm coming. Well, I'll just come and we'll cover it for It's a Queer Thing. So James and I go up to San Francisco that morning. We drove up that morning and we got there. I think their tour started at like 11 and we got there at like 10, a little after 10. And I texted Kat and I said, oh, we're here. Where are you guys at? And they were at the Bex Motel, which is where everybody was staying. I said, okay, so don't say anything. We're on our way. And she said to Peter right before we got there, Peter, wouldn't it be cool if Chris and James showed up for this? And he said, oh, that would be. And then Peter turned around and there we were. I've never done one of these tours. And this was with um, their uh, cats class from Fresno State, which is LGBTQ plus history. And I've never done one of these tours. And of course, I thought, you know, I've been to the Castro a million times. So um, what do I need a tour for? But it's interesting when Kathy leads you around the Castro, she talks about a lot of things that you overlook when you go to the Castro. Landmarks and icons that you take for granted and you don't pay that much attention. So um, we joined the class um, and we went around for a couple of hours and it was a really exciting and learned thing to do. And so let's um, right now break into our interview with Kathy Amendola with Cruising in the Castro. Kathy, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure, um, I'm Kathy Amendola. I own Cruising the Castro Walking Tours for the past 18 years. My company is the first and possibly still only the uh, 
legacy business tour company for actually operating over 34 years. It has been um, owned previously by Trevor Haley. She started the tours in 1989. I purchased the business in 2005 and have continued to educate and advocate on LGBTQ history as well as advocacy for equal rights. So let's talk about your personal history and your um, evolution of who you were before you came out, and then tell us about your transition to who you are today. Yes. Well, as we all know, life and love is a journey. Um, I'm from New Jersey, if you can't hear my accent, and um, I moved here from Hawaii. I used to be work for hotels and sales and marketing at luxury properties on Maui. I've been a travel industry veteran for many decades. And so I had ended up in San Francisco in the late 90s because I had a change in lifestyle myself, going from straight to bisexual to a, a lesbian. And I needed community as well as uh, women to date. Now, myself, New York was my old stomping ground, but the truth of the matter is, I, there's not really a big out, there's no out community. And for you to be gay in New York, go down to the village, you go to a gay bar. And that was not enough for me after struggling from bisexuality to homosexuality because I wanted to be gay 24 hours a day, not when I went to a bar. And New York does not have that kind of community to be out and proud all the time. So that's why I had transferred jobs to San Francisco because the Castro community does not exist in this magnitude of 45 blocks, any place in the world that I'm aware of. So um, you, you, you bought the business. I think I read you bought it in 2005, right? So tell me how you made that decision to buy the business. I had um, been laid off from a hotel job here in San Francisco. It was following the dot-com crash and the original dot-com crash. And I, I was living in the Castro and I had attended a, um, a merchant's meeting. But prior to the meeting the day before, I just happened to see this lady on the corner by the flag giving a tour. And so thought nothing of it. And when I went to the merchant's meeting the next day or so, she announced, Trevor Haley, that she was selling her tour business. And at that split second, I just said, that's what I want to do. It's been 18 years so far. I mean, did she did she give you a blueprint or did you had you been on the tour so you kind of knew how it worked or did you have to create this on your own? What is a big thing in our community worldwide is actually oral history. And many of the things uh, are not recorded in, in print and so on and so forth. And what Trevor brought was the storytelling to the LGBTQ culture uh, in the 90s, basically. And, and she had a, a different perspective, being a, a lesbian, older, started in the Navy, came here, and then one thing led to another. So she has seen it from a different perspective. And the history that she's carried on to me, even from the gold rush, has been significant because a lot of this history is not something you would readily find. And so I had been passed down oral history. And so what had happened in our community since my purchasing the tour uh, 18 years ago is that there's been so many more historical sites and added to the community. So Trevor did a lot of storytelling, but myself, uh, I have so many 
actual sites, plaques and, and buildings, and to actually talk about them. And I think that we've enhanced our history as a culture over the past 20 years, and this is what I'm able to actually show real things, and that makes a huge difference. So what is your primary motivation? What drives you to keep doing this specifically as opposed to any of the other number of LGBT kind of projects or work out there? And I know you have three different projects we saw on the website, but can you talk about like what drives you in terms of those things? Yes. Um, you had asked before, how was it when I first took over the tour? Uh, I have to tell you, I spent about a good almost 20 years as a very homophobic, bisexual lesbian. And it was challenging for me because I was straight and very feminine and, and oh, makeup, high heels, big hair, lipstick. But this was a, a real growth for myself coming out and starting to talk about LGBTQ history and understanding the struggles on how difficult it is to talk about it. And so my tours in the beginning were history, but my tours now is advocacy. And there is a, was a huge shift that took 18 or took 15 years or so. This is the uh, key portion of really educating as well as inspiring people to make positive social changes because we're losing rights in America and this is not acceptable. So um, I didn't know you were, so you were homophobic, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You mean homophobic toward gay men or toward uh, gay people in general? No, I loved gay men. Oh. Um, <laughs> <I> would... <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, a, a personal struggle, I would say, right? We all struggle in some way with finding and accepting ourselves. And and when you have someone who was very happy being straight, I, I love straight men. Uh but then, you know, magical things happened to me along the way. And wow, women were so much more powerful. So it is hard transitioning from a straight woman and being closeted as a bisexual woman and then coming out as a lesbian. Now, I didn't officially come out till I was 39. Obviously, I was practicing. But... <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. You always practice before you come out. I love the idea that uh, magical things happen to you. And my immediate thought was, what, sex with women? Because that's pretty magical. <laughs> so magical. It's so different. You know, sex with men is different. And, and sex with men, with men and women and women are totally different. So um, it's all beautiful. And I feel very blessed to have gone through three spectrums and, and, and the struggle and how much courage it takes to come out and how much courage it takes to find the pride in yourself and carry that. And then also inspire others to have courage. Uh, my community has given me this courage because it's so supportive. And like you see in my background, it's all about rainbows here. And um, it, it gives us the safety and this place to thrive and uh, advocate. And that's where like, Harvey Milk comes in and many other people before us because it's all about advocating for equal rights. And here we are 50 years later and we are losing more rights in our country. And um, it's a very powerful time 
But I, I have to believe that hope will never be silent, as Harvey said, because hope is the only thing that keeps me going. It is very upsetting for me to having to talk about human rights in our country and what rights we don't have as a culture and as individuals who are non-heterosexual. It is heartbreaking. I have to talk about, you know, 417 anti-LGBTQ bills on the, the books in our country. South Dakota or North Dakota passed 10 in one week anti-trans bills. This is painful. So how do I go on? I am in pain. And the only thing that I can do is inspire others to see this urgency of voting pro-choice, pro-democracy, and pro-equality. There are no other exceptions. And I, I have to believe that love is stronger than hate. It's the only thing that keeps me going. So I, I, I really appreciate what you said about you're in pain because I pretty much live this way uh, at this point. Uh, I went to an abortion rally here in Fresno on Saturday and Kalia knows because we do other podcasts for, for one of her podcasts where we've been talking a lot about women. And women have been on my mind nonstop since they overturned Roe v. Wade. And women, I've always been a feminist. So it's not like I just woke up to this, but I woke up to it much more emotionally recently. When I was at that abortion rally, I was tearing up because there was a... Um, there was a woman speaking who was just somebody from the community who had been who had served in the military. And she was crying because she said, this is not what I served in the military for. And I think this is what I feel. I know this is what I feel as a gay man, too. I didn't you know, I've been an activist for 20 some years. I didn't fight and scream and rant and rave all this time to see us in 2023 start to slide back. So I, I want to ask you about the people that come on your tour. Um, young people versus older people and do you find that the younger people have any concept of what we're going through and why we're so upset about what's going on right now i think that a lot of younger people are not aware of so much history how much advocacy advocacy has been happening for 100 years or so they are feeling and what they're seeing from what i see is that the whole um gender fluidness thing is being attacked with the laws. So anti-trans is coming up and this is, this is what they're paying attention. This is getting their attention. All right. So they're finding how, um, how anti-American it is to deny people rights. And they're seeing it with the trans community because many young people, unlike perhaps you or I or, uh, or Kalia, they just, we've, we've seen life from a different spectrum, like 3D, bi, straight, gay, right? Most of us, the younger generations have so much, so many more words that we didn't have. Non-binary, um, you know, trans, we didn't have these words. And so they are, they are experiencing it uh, through gender discrimination from my point of view, but they do not know how much has come before them. They are not, they don't have this information. This is not something they learn in schools, right? They're just discovering themselves out and, and all these new words they have to choose from and, and, and feeling connected. But um, I think they're becoming more active in activism because of this uh, transphobia and 
what needs to happen is that this needs to light the fire. We have to advocate. And my point is with young people is that they may be too young to vote, but they're never too young to advocate. And this is why we must take it to the streets. And I really literally mean that. Take it to the streets. Protest. Advocate. It's the only way it's been done in the past. I really like what you said earlier. You said that you went to, you went, you'd made the, the comparison of history into advocacy because when you educate, education leads to inspiration and that leads to advocacy. And so it all kind of comes together. Once you're exposed to the history, then you can realize what you need to do and, and you know, that education component. I just think it's beautiful what you said. I, I want to ask, though, about the age range of who come, like, what are the ages of the people who come on the tours? Do you ever feel like it's preaching to the choir a little bit? Or do you get people who are really open to learning? And, you know, again, the age, like, are there children that come, like middle grade? Or is it usually just adults? Can you talk about that? Just even today, I had a, a 13-year-old or 11-year-old uh, non-binary uh, child and young adult. I had women who were in their 70s, so straight women, and who I'm pretty sure they were married to Republicans. But, uh, but, they, but they listened, and they listened. And, and, and maybe they saw some light, because I talk about the human rights campaign and these wonderful maps that you know, show you what states you can uh, not get service at restaurants, movie theaters, libraries, or shops because you're diverse. And you know what? They listen. And, and the fact is that um, it shouldn't be about political parties or, or democracy. It, it should be about progress. But we're dealing with white fear. Now, I, I can talk about this because I spent first 36 years of my life as a proud gun shooting Republican. Face people, you know? Know what you're voting for. If you're voting against your rights, and nobody's rights except for white, straight, heterosexual men, then you better wake up. Because I was taught we followed our men, and they knew better than me. That's why you've got these women who are just following their men. And the whole thing is about white supremacy, obviously, what we're seeing in our country. And we are at civil war. But what are we fighting? Fear. White men and white women don't want to be replaced, okay? No one is trying to replace them. We're all one an equal voice at the table. It's about fear. So we need to really dig down deep. And what does this mean? That white supremacy uh, should control us? We have too much power. And, and that's why as LGBTQ community and even our allies, we have too much power. We just need to exert this. They are screaming the loudest because they're scared. We have to be smart about this. We miss vote in every single election, state level election. This is where all the white supremacy taking our laws away, happening on state level elections. This isn't easy, but we have so much more to hope for. And, and our right to exist is one of them. Um. I know that on the tour, you talk about Harvey Milk, obviously, and his whole thing about hope and, and you know, go out there. They can't hate us if they know us, et cetera. And I, I would hope that that really would resonate with people nowadays. I'm curious, though. I mean, obviously, that's what a lot of people think about when they think about San Francisco and gay and, and Castro. They're going to think of Harvey Milk. But are there other parts of the tour that kind of 
are surprising to people. Can you talk about something that maybe is kind of often overlooked that is on the tour or even one of your favorite parts of the tour that might be surprising to people? There are actually many spots in the neighborhood that are my favorite. I enjoy taking people to the Pink Triangle Park and Memorial. It's the first in the United States remembering homosexual men persecuted during World War II in Europe for homosexuality. So before the flag was created, the pink triangle was used as a symbol of the um, LGBTQ community. But um, because of Harvey's election and Gil Baker, his friend who made the flag, they had a conversation and they said, we need to get rid of that symbol of death and create the symbol of life which is the rainbow flag. However, as a culture, we still use the pink triangle. But there is a park in our neighborhood that has a triangle on the ground filled with rose quartz. And the whole purpose of the project is that rose quartz are heart stones, healing stones. And purpose of having all these stones is that we want people to take the stone because this is how we spread love and healing around the world. And it has been an amazing project for the last 20-something years. And it is um, sharing love and having people take their rose quartz home wherever they are in the world is um, it's really powerful. So that's one of the things that I love doing. But besides that, one of the big things on my tour that uh, is covered is the AIDS epidemic. And anyone born after, well, as you know, anyone who wasn't around in the 80s or 90s um, or even the 2000s is not really quite aware of what had happened during the AIDS epidemic and how the Castro was the epic center of uh, creating the AIDS memorial quilt. So the quilt is hanging in one of the restaurants where it started years before. And to really take people in there and talk about it and the magnitude of what HIV has done to our community worldwide is, um, is something that younger people or many people have never even thought of, seen, or, or talk about. And it's a part of our culture that needs to be remembered because uh, younger people don't know this history and, and it, it can't be lost. So let me ask you about your other project, uh, which is um, the Rainbow Honor Walk. Uh, this is These are the plaques on the sidewalk in the Castro, right, which are amazing, and they honor LGBTQ uh, people throughout history. Can you talk about that? Yes. So in 2015, myself and other people in the community, we were facing, I don't know, an endemic would be the correct word, but of young people committing suicide around the world because there was no positive role models for diverse people. So myself and the other people, we formed a nonprofit called the Rainbow Honor Walk. We have permission for these bronze plaques in the sidewalks. They're huge. They're three feet by three feet of famous LGBTQ people who've made a difference in the world. Each plaque is $6,000 each. We have 40 plaques now. We're still raising money for 24 more. And it's been a tremendous project and just enlightening people. My favorite plaque is Sally Ride and how um, she was the first American woman in space and a lesbian. This is like the coolest thing ever. So we need to talk about these things. And we try to represent different spectrums of sexuality and gender as well as racial. And um, it's been very empowering. 
as someone who uh, I'm 61 years old, so I went to the Castro a lot in the 80s and uh, into the 90s. Talk about if this is a wrong word, I don't know, the gentrification of the Castro. I mean, it's a lot different than it used to be. We didn't used to have Starbucks down there. We didn't used to have franchise locations in in the Castro. And how is that affecting the neighborhood? There's several things going on. The economic depression has hit our neighborhood because of several reasons. And one of them is the highest real estate in the world. And you have a lot of retail storefront owners that own the building that are not part of the community. They don't care about the community and it's all about profit. Okay. So you have a lot of small businesses that can't afford the rent. Okay. Harvey's, uh, they're looking for um, 14 to $17,000 a month just for the rent. Okay. For that location. So you have this economic depression, which is caused by people holding out. Okay, and I believe there is a law now that we can start fining them as a merchants association for really turning our community downward. The other thing is this. A cash shows about 24,000 people. 40, 50% are heterosexual, okay? So what's the difference now? The difference is a lot of them are having kids, okay, which is a beautiful place to grow up. The other thing is, is that we been blessed with so much grinder sites and other sites <laughs> that we no longer need to go cruising. All right. So cruising has been cut down a little bit. Uh, you just hook up where you need to. Um, so you've got several things playing into this whole uh, metamorphosis of our community, getting our businesses back. Um, the other thing is people, right? We want people. And our bars do well, and our restaurants pretty much do well, but we need to do more. And that uh, we have a new visitor center that's opened in um, on 18th and Castro, and that, that's going to help. The HRC store closed up in 2019, and that was a huge letdown for us because that's where all the advocacy starts. We're going through changes. I'm not going to lie. White, older men still own a lot of property there. And maybe they're not hanging out so much after 5 p.m. <laughs> but so you have all these changes coming in. But the truth of the matter is we are an LGBTQ cultural district. We need to work on enhancing our history and, and keeping it. So yesterday at the city hall, there was a meeting about the Castro Theater and landmark status, okay, because another planet, Entertainment came in and said, hey, we're going to take all the orchestra street seats out and we're going to make a motorized so we can make a dance floor. The theater was actually landmarked in 1977, but they only landmarked the outside of the building. So yesterday at City Hall, 100 people were there. We had to say, yes, we were forward or no, we weren't. And, you know, Many of the people in the community are like, yeah, do what you want. Bring people in, dance, you know. And some of us were like, are you kidding me? This theater is 100 years old. We don't, it's not a dance club. It's a theater. I saw on the news this morning that um, the theater has been entirely landmarked. That's fantastic. And, That's great news. And it just took a small group of people, okay, what Margaret Mead said, 
to a small group of dedicated citizens to change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. So it's important to do the right thing. That is good news. Um, I want to ask you, I saw on the website that not only do you do the walking tours, but you do virtual tours. And I, how does that work? <laughs> Actually, no, I, um, <laughs> I created a 43-minute documentary on LGBTQ history, 70 years of history in San Francisco. And um, I sell it as a virtual tour, but it's actually a documentary. And I do corporate groups and things like that, organizations with that, um, that video. We talked about this when I was taking the tour with you a little bit. The these changes in the relationships between lesbians and gay men during the AIDS crisis. If you recall, during the AIDS epidemic, People were getting sores all over their their hands, their mouth, and uh, they were being turned away by the medical facilities because people, they didn't know what was causing this, and it seemed to be gay men, okay? And um, uh, the nurses, doctors had to wear biohazard suits. They didn't know. So many men were being turned away by the medical facilities, and they needed blood, and they needed food, and who were the only ones to step in when they were not wanted were the lesbians. And the women came in and they started helping the men with food and blood drive. And this was actually a matter of life and death. And this had brought our community somewhat together. Now, if you recall, the alphabets, the original alphabet was GLBT. But because the lesbians were helping the men out during the AIDS epidemic, the men felt by honoring women that they'd move the L first. So this is why the alphabet went from right. GLBT right. to LGBT. I had no idea. Oh, I knew That's... that one, Kalia. So that one's <laughs> on you. <laughs> Look, the more you know. The more you know. Let's have a little start. We're all learning there. together. <laughs> okay, so obviously your tours and your history is, is very rooted in the Castro, which makes perfect sense. But I'm curious, um, are there other cities that have LGBT walking tours with other cities having their history? Do you ever like have a sister city or, or work with other cities to like bring in bigger tours or to connect in some way? I'm just curious. No, I do not. The reason why, <laughs> this doesn't exist anywhere else. So, all right. So I know people who run, I have some tour members that run uh, a tour in New York City, okay? LGBTQ tour, right? So they go to Stonewall. Okay, that's one. It, it, there's not a lot of meat to them. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of storytelling. This is where this used to happen. This is where that happened. But you're still walking around in a, a more straight environment. here. We're in your face, okay? We, you can't be more prouder than seeing this flag and many flags in your face. Um, we are the power. We are the light here. And we have allies here, too. So um, we don't have an identity crisis here. We know who we are, and we are out. And it does not exist anywhere else. So I don't mean to sound arrogant or anything, but um, to me, there's, nothing can compare to this community. Nothing. So we have history in North Beach and in Polk Street. But again, pointing things out of things used to be. Here, it's really here. You could feel it. You see the plaques. You see the historical sites. There is information. There's history. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been to the Castro. I can't even, I don't even know how many times. But um, my husband and I have been living in Fresno for the last 27 years. And we still go up there, um, but we don't go up there nearly as often. But on my 60th birthday, which was about a year and a half ago, we decided to go up there for my birthday. And there's something about, and we spent some time in the Castro. They were actually having the Matrix uh, movie uh, premiere in the Castro that night. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's something about being in the Castro as a gay person, as an LGBTQ person. It's instant connection. It's you, it's something you feel that you don't feel anywhere else. And I, I didn't want to leave. And what do you think it was, Chris? I think it's a total acceptance that you are who you are. You're with your friends, even if you don't know them. We were meeting people on the street and just connecting. You don't, I mean, in Fresno, I'm completely out of the closet. My husband's completely out of the closet. We're both activists. But in Fresno, the minute I walk out the door, I have fear in me because I don't know what's going to happen. Not that I can't, you know, somehow pass. I'm not that effeminate. I can pass if I need to, but I don't feel that inside. I always feel like I'm in danger. When I'm in the Castro, I feel completely free, like I've never been out before. It's it's an unbelievable feeling. I, I treasure it. And that's the feeling of community. Okay. So tell us how people reach out to you, how they connect with you, your website, and how they book a tour if they want to. Should you wish to contact me or take an LGBTQ Castro walking tour, you can contact me at Cruisin thecastro.com and I will get back to you immediately. Check out the tour and see if you can join us. Great. And I can tell you that I've taken Kathy's tour, as I mentioned earlier, and she's informative. She's funny. She's smart as hell. And you will have a great time. Do Are the tours every day or only certain days? Are they morning, afternoon, evening? And how involved of a walk is the walking tour? Sure. The thing is, I don't like hills, so I avoid them at all. Uh, the tour route is really easy and it encompasses a couple of blocks, but it's less than a mile. And there is one or two inclines, but very slightly. And the tour is ADA compatible. So we've had people with wheelchairs on the tour. Currently, the tours are operating on Tuesday and Saturday at 10 a.m. Okay. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you, Kathy. My pleasure. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. That was such a great interview. I had a really good time talking to Kathy. And, you know, I didn't know very much about the Castro outside of the very basic, it's the gay place in San Francisco and there's stuff there. And I know I've gone there a few times with somebody to to drink, but it was late at night. And I, I just remember being like, oh, okay, there's go-go dancers. And, oh, I guess we're in the Castro. But I... It definitely wasn't a historical thing, and it was definitely more a we we showed up somewhere, there was a lot of drinking, and then we left. I don't really remember it very well, probably because of all the drinking. There's lots of bars there. We all go there, and we drink, and we dance, and we uh, commiserate with each other, and we hook up with each other, and do all those things. It's it's it's. But the, the what as Kathy pointed out in this interview. The history of the Castro and how it started as a gay district in San Francisco is fascinating. I know a lot of people that are just going there to party don't pay attention to that, but we should. Well, and that's definitely my point. I feel like I need to go back now, take her tour or, you know, at, yeah, definitely take her tour and also just wander around and, and check it out because. I have a better I have a better idea, Kalia. What's that? I think James and I should take you there and we should give you our tour. 
Yes. Oh my goodness. <gasps> because you guys met at the Folsom Street Fair or some kind of event, but was it in the Castro? Do you remember like the corner where you met? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was very close to the Castro. In fact, in this tour that we took with Kathy, she takes us up right above uh, Castro and Market to where the Pink Triangle is, which is right on the street that I used to walk up to and stay with my friend Stephen Guerrero, who used to live like a couple of blocks from there. So this was in 19, 1996. And I used to visit my friend Stephen up there twice a month. I used to leave Fresno to go to San Francisco twice a month because it was much more exciting. As a, At the time, I was single to go to San Francisco than to try and, you know, hook up in Fresno and go to the bars in Fresno. So I would go and stay with Stephen and Mark, and then I would park my car and walk down to the Castro and, you know, have a lot of fun. That particular weekend, as I'm pulling into Stephen's apartment, he comes outside and he says, oh, you have to come with us right now. I'm going to have dinner with friends. And I said, Stephen, I just got here. Can I go inside, unpack and take a shower? And he said, no, look. And his, there was this whole group of men walking up the street. And James was one of them. James and his friends were friends with Stephen. I, Stephen was my very best friend at the time. But we didn't. I didn't know Stephen's friends um, and they didn't know me. So anyway, we ended up going out to dinner that night. And that's how I met James. And that's how I found my husband of now almost 27 years. I was going to say, you also just had an anniversary very recently. We had our legal anniversary of 15 years, which was June 17th. Our, what I consider, I mean, I, I totally appreciate the legal anniversary, no, no questions asked, um, because uh, we got married in 2008 when the state of California allowed same-sex marriage, which was then shortly afterwards overturned, but we didn't get in America the right to legal same-sex marriage across the country until 2015. But we got married in 2008 with, I think, I forget how many couples in. in yeah, so many. Yeah. And um, so they kept those, they honored those marriages, even though later they were, the law was overturned until the federal law in 2015. So we have been together 15 years legally, but this September will be 27 years total yeah well congratulations and happy anniversary legal legal anniversary and yes i definitely want to go to the castro with you guys and yeah hang out. we need to take you there i was just we were just in san francisco yesterday um uh for uh we went to see sandra bernhardt in a cabaret performance and we spent the day there and we came back today which was actually san francisco pride but we didn't really want to do pride and we had other things to do here so we came back and on the way i said james we have got to get together <laughs> Not necessarily in the next week or two weeks, but before the end of the year, we have to find where Kaylee is available because she has not experienced the Castro to the sufficient degree that we need her to experience <laughs> it. We need to take her up there and and, and uh, let her experience it. Looking forward to that. So Absolutely. Also, listeners, looking forward to another great interview that's coming just in a couple days. It's going to be our last podcast of this month, our big Pride Month full of episodes, and it is with Dr. Peter Robertson. It's a great interview, and that's coming in a couple of days, but this was a great time. I'm so glad that we were able to interview Kathy and that you guys got to have such a great experience, and I'm looking forward to it as well. So. Yeah, and I'm going to take some hints from her cruising in the Castro tours for when James and I take you there. And we're going to, we're going to take you off the beaten path, but we might use some of the stuff that she used that I didn't post in the pictures on It's a Queer Thing. There was one, one point where she takes us to an apartment. I don't know if you all know what this was, but 
uh, Billy Doll, the gay Billy Doll, which was big in the 90s. It was the first gay action figure um, that was mass produced and people could buy. And he's fully anatomically correct. And I mean fully anatomically correct. He's the size of a Barbie, but his member is bigger than anything you might see with Ken. Or Well, Ken had nothing. But Ken had underwear that you couldn't see under. Well, you could the- if you pulled it off, which I did. But the, No, no, they're built in. Ken's underwear is like, it's part of the plastic molding. It's oh, like- they may be now. But in my day, you could pull the underwear off and you saw this little round stub, which was really disheartening for me as a young gay boy. Oh, yeah. G.I. Joe the same way. And I used to take my G.I. Joe and Ken doll out to the backyard in the dirt field and i had a jeep for gi <laughs> joe and a little convertible for ken and they you know they would drive and randomly meet up in the in the desert oh so random <laughs> but in the end i mean they, <laughs> it was random i would have little traffic signs and stuff it wasn't that random but in the end yeah no i, I should draw it out sometime in the end you know oh, they couldn't do anything because they're just just there's nothing there but this doll the billy doll um, he's definitely got something there. And it only lasted a, a few years. You can't even buy it uh, anymore unless you buy it from somebody on eBay. But anyway, Kathy took us to this one apartment that had them all lined up in the window with their pants down and you could see everything. Um, yeah, I know. I have the pictures, but I didn't share it on our on our Facebook Probably page. Probably for, for the best. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a segue. I, I blew my segue earlier and then, and then you just went I know. Off How again. do you segue out of that, <laughs> Kalia? Oh God. Where's the well, Barbie vagina okay, page? You know we I'm just not don't gonna know. answer that. I no. It's in there. There you go. We'll find it. It's in the Castro somewhere. Oh, I'm sure Lord, there's a lesbian okay. Barbie vagina page somewhere. We gotta go. Gotta go. Time to go. <laughs> this is great. Okay. <laughs> All right, people. Well, thank you for sticking with us through this month of multiple, multiple episodes uh, um, dealing with Pride. And um, we will go back next month to our regular schedule. But we have one more this month on the 30th, which is Peter Robertson, Dr. Peter Robertson from Bulldog Pride of Fresno State. Stay tuned. You can take Kendall's legs off. I don't know if you know this or you probably know this. If if you if you pop his leg off, first of all, you can also pop his head off. Then you can golf with the leg and the head. It's a whole thing. <laughs> but if you have taken his leg off because of the little joint thing that's in there that would have held the leg in place. Okay, I know this. You got to look at my hand. There's a little thing inside in his crotchular area. His it's white and it. Area. <laughs> And it looks like a little hook. And I was like, that's his penis. You can only see his penis if you take his leg off, but it's there. (laughs) 